though it's not really a matter of days, but in terms of days we are about in the middle of the retreat and there's something about the way that uh, even on a fairly unconscious level you know, the heart knows it's landed, it's settling in, it's finding some ground, it's doing its business that which needs to be done. It's kind of cleared the desktop <laughs> and we're, yeah, uh, so it's very uh, uh, crucial and, and uh, valuable occasion and I imagine it's taken many, you know, many of us some time and some diligence and some just basically patience <laughs> to arrive at this uh, position and so that's wonderful and uh, you know if you can you can cultivate like this then I I feel glad because I'm sure you're bound to get the good results of your efforts and uh, this morning I was just f- feeling pretty um, pretty pretty uplifted you know just uh, being here when we came in everyone was sitting there it's just so uplifting to see that amount of commitment and presence and aspiration in the room and be part of it yeah so things do clarify yeah it's not exactly a one click job things do clarify just because of the sheer uh, quality of the of the chitta human heart uh, its ability and its aspiration uh, and its energy to keep moving or moving through but it's not finished yet is it yeah so we need those allies uh, and it's a kind of humility of practice to keep recognizing you know, it's not it's not self that does this <laughs> it's that uh, there is another force here less identifiable uh, you know. But when, for example, you're just going in, into your breathing or, or your embodiment, you feel that life force vitality, however it is, faltering, you know, surging, you know, that's an inheritance. And that's, right? Amazing inheritance. I didn't create it. And uh, as I'm saying, the body provides a very useful template for the chitta. You know, so in a way the two sort of fit each other but we don't often really see the chitta in, in such a, a clear way as we do, as we can map it in the body. But chitta also has a life force, a vitality to it. And this is one way of expressing sadha. It's that, that life force, that vitality breaking through. Yeah and gathering sense of purpose, purpose. So, you know, purpose is when the, the sadha actually connects to, to energy, starts to shape it. And then we get specific application, which we call effort or perseverance or application, depending on how you want to frame it. And then mindfulness to the point which you're actually staying steady with that that process of the faith energy, you know, the aspiration energy, meeting the residues, the difficulties, finding a way to stand its ground and, and work through. And often this working through, the territory of working through is, you know, what we have to work through is talked about, referred to in a number of different ways, but one of the most common ways it's referred to is hindrances, those which impair, those which constrict, those which constrain our potential, the potential of citta. Yeah. And uh, uh, these influences 
you know, inhabit the self-structure. They, they tend to constellate there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. The self-structure would be pushed by aversion to avoid things it doesn't want. It will be pushed out to acquire things it does want. Yeah. And it will be restless and it will go stagnant. It will go into stagnant habits where we just plod along in our life. Mm. And it has an innate lack of confidence. Tell me what I suppose, what's the, what's the, you know, which can go into uh, depression when it really gets bad. So the movement through these, this territory is actually a, a very potent movement because this is kind of one way of really what stream entry is beginning to experience, that sense of the chitter beyond the hindrance. You know, when it's actually moving through, even temporarily, you know, that's breaking through into something that's not self, but it's very intimate, directly experienced. It's not a self-structure, it's not a person. But you definitely, intimately, subjectively experience it. Then it can begin to reshape your personality. Yeah. Because you come into what's more truly authentic and it can begin to, well, you don't need to do that, do you? That was a waste of time and you've got what you need here. So it begins to affect the way we live our lives. And by and large, you know, most people who cultivate meditation for a sustained period of time, you know, the violence drops. <laughs> The greed drops, you know, <laughs> the aversion drops, all those things fall, descend. And what comes forth without any effort, just as a true expression, is conscientiousness, you know, integrity, goodwill. You know. These come forth naturally. You know, so they become expressions of a, a re- reformulated, reset one's personhood. Mm. And this way, that gives rise to more faith in the process. This is livable. It's not just a mystical flash. This is livable. And the more you live it, the more you integrate it into your life, you begin to progressively move away from the paths that lead towards hindrances. Yeah and move towards paths that lead to greater integrity. This movement through the hindrance zone, <laughs> you know, that, that territory. Okay, so we need allies for that. We have uh, a sadha, which is the most fundamental, I would suggest, because if that's there, then you can keep going, or you can at least stand your ground. Yeah. You can stay there. And if that goes, you have what's called the hindrance of doubt, which destroys, corrodes, undercuts everything. You doubt yourself. You don't have confidence in your heart. You don't have confidence in path. You don't have confidence in practice. You don't have confidence that there is a fruit. And then that whole thing collapses. So this is the most precious and fundamental um, indriya. And then actually moving into what kind of energy is possible at this time. The way you've got to calibrate the sense of effort. Effort is application energy. And as I've spoken before, we need to sustain being energy, just feeling you know, healthy, if you like, bright enough. Uh, so we have the resources to doing energy, application. Mm. And then what kind of effort or energy application is suitable, uh, appropriate, in which direction. And the um, mediator that is sati sampajanya. So sati, as I've suggested, is that referencing. You know, you've got a f some sort of axis, some sort of post, something you rely upon, how is this? 
you've got something that you can measure things by. You know, does this cause skillful states to arise or unskillful states to arise? You know what the skillful established state is. Yeah. You know what presence is. You know what stillness is. You know what, uh, or the degrees of it. You know, you know, and you know where to go. You can establish it in body. And of course, this is such a fundamental thing because no matter what the mind is doing, <laughs> you, got, you know, the body is it's not affected by the hindrances. So. Okay. And, you know, rage, fear, nagging mind, <laughs> hunker, to, you know, get back to this and let weather blow through. <laughs> so that's the effort, you know. It's not always out there swashbuckling, you know, slashing ignorance to, to, to a stump. Sometimes you're just basically hunkering down, <laughs> holding your own, <laughs> keeping yourself resourced and letting stuff blow through in its own mysterious way. Just not buying into it is right effort. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to not sustain it. And then, uh, you know, to uplift what we, what we experience is truly beautiful. To, to acknowledge it. Anyway, so Sampajanya is a referencing uh, facility that Sati, the kind of establishing a reference, reference in the body, refer to that. And, and Sampajanya is a, uh, means a number of things. You can translate it as full, some, complete, thorough, pa, janya, fully, directly, knowing. <laughs> So it's come across as clear comprehension, direct knowing, full knowing, alertness, clear awareness, intuitive awareness, I mean, you name it, different forms of, of words. Uh, but what it's doing is it's mediating, how is it? it's, me, it's inquiring, if you like, in, in a sometimes non-conceptual way, just but sometimes conceptual, sometimes non-conceptual, how is this? It's mediating. And then it's a wisdom faculty because it, it mediates and it's described as mediating in what can be seen as four ways. One is purpose. So what is this useful? Is this direction useful? Is it a sidetrack? What's my purpose here? What's the purpose here? Is it, Yeah. To make something happen, or is it to maintain clarity? Mm. Yeah. Is it to get things done, or is it to act skillfully? Now, check it out. Because in our worldly conditioning, I think many of us would agree that in the worldly marketplace conditioning, the purpose is get things done on time, do a good job, uh, make things work, fix problems, uh, and then enjoy yourself. <laughs> uh, but in Dhamma conditioning, Dhamma process is what causes a skillful state to arise? And what causes an unskillful state to decline? That's your purpose. So rather than getting, if I'm gonna, getting things done involves me getting pushy, irritable, forceful. <laughs> no, I'm doing the wrong thing. You know, I'm, I'm acting the wrong way. Yeah. So wholesome state, persistence, patience, care, attention. I can move in that direction. So you mediate. Yeah. And of course, same thing for meditation. Are you trying to arrive at a particular state? Uh, or you just, in this particular condition I'm experiencing right now, which could be diminished health, it could be oppressive mental issues, then what's the purpose now? The purpose now is not to lose faith. Not to lose contact with the indriya. Keep that your central purpose and then see what you can do from there what's possible from there. Sometimes just holding that candle is it. 
and sometimes you can expand it. And uh, by and large, generally, if you find the right purpose, if you, you know, contextualize purpose, you know, and you make it that to sustain the indriya, yeah, so that unskillful states don't arise or don't overwhelm the mind, and you hold it, hold it, what tends to happen is the chitta picks that up and begins to expand and push away these hindering influences by itself. Sadha virya sati. So we say, I don't, I don't overcome the hindrances. Yeah. but the indriya do. So, you know, my purpose in Sampajanya is just that there's a certain humility to it. And this is as far as I can go now, but let's check in with that faith. I'm experiencing a lot of self-criticism or feeling inadequate. Where's, where's the faith? Where's the sense of I can be present and not add and proliferate around this one. I know this as this rather than I participate in it. So and then there's a possibility then for the allies to gather around that point and begin to do their work. Hmm. Now even to recognize these hindering effects, they're listed as five, which you might think that's a pretty small list. I've invented some new ones, kind of hindrance cocktails and (laughs) 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 subtler, varied forms. But the Buddha generally tried to kind of consolidate things into manageable packages. So he says, you you only got five. That's only five. (laughs) But when we consider something like, you know, uh, ill will, for example, uh, uh, and so tracking that and it will can be inferred hostility yeah. which means other people feel I'm inadequate or I think I'm not as good as she is right why do you think that what do you mean not as good as she is what do you what are you referring to her toes uh, <laughs> or ability to make garlic soup, what particular facet are you focusing on to feel lessened by, you know? And you get kind of sort of, sort of nebulous sense. Something puts me down. Something squashes me. Yeah. And it can be external, that is, you know, he doesn't approve of me or he's so much better than me or I'm nothing compared with her. It can be externally triggered or internally triggered. I'm not as good as I should be or ought to be or I've been doing this for 10 years. I should be another way. Uh Well, could you, like what? (laughs) And how could that happen? Clearly, it's not a logical thing, but if you begin to approach it with logic, you can only be how you are now, and you can't expect growth to come from nagging. You can't nag yourself to Nibbana. Pull yourself together, shape up, stop doing that. Don't be better persons, because you should be this way. That'll get you there, won't it? (laughs) That's worldly conditioning, right? That's not Dhamma conditioning. Dhamma training is something needs to be fulfilled here. Yeah, something needs to be blessed, recognized, gladdened, appreciated. Yeah? I keep the eight precepts. I keep the five precepts. I keep one precept. <laughs> you know, wherever that little flame of faith is, you fan it. <laughs> I love my dog. I hate, I hate human beings, but I love my dog. Okay, well, let's just start working on that. 
you know, it's good to have something going and then just start kind of see if we can <laughs> lose, you know, expand that a little bit. And uh, what is it that brings around this tide of ill will? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So inferred hostility, which means I assume something around me doesn't like me or feels I'm inadequate. Yeah. And of course, it can bounce back in my defensive. It's like, no, she thinks she is. <laughs> snap, snap, snap. That kind of thing, we're ill will towards others. I know, what's going on here? And if you kind of explore into that, you can ring as the core, what I call a core vacuity. It means there's a certain absence. There's not enough. There's not enough. There's not enough here. So that becomes, I am not enough. And then the reasons why I'm not enough. And then I enlist a cast of actors to prove that I'm not good enough. (laughs) Then I go into the past, (laughs) get the statistics to prove I'm not good enough. (laughs) Then I can project into the future how I never will be good enough. So it can expand in these directions, but it's a core vacuity, a core absence. And this is one aspect of what's called ignorance. Non. Non-being. Yeah. Something has not been come to light yet. Mm. Ignorance is, doesn't mean you're st- stupid or lack of information. It means something has been obscured. Something is not revealed, something is not come alight yet. And that's the core of all of it. Greed. Fill me up, fill me up, fill me up. Fill me with sense pleasures. Fill me with information. Fill me with knowledge. Fill me with praise. Yeah. Fill me with status. Please fill me. <laughs> <laughs> you stop and then more <laughs> more of another thing you know and so cause, because of course in this multifaceted domain we can you know get the sense of that, that neediness can move out to obviously sense data and that's something, but probably actually subsidiary to give me praise, give me love, give me attention, give me something to make me feel good, you know, uh, give me status, give me kudos, give me position, you know. You see the craziness of power, you know, operating in the world, beings desperate for power you know desperate you don't need that much power really get people who hang on to massive financial political empires and that quality is eating that that power is corroding their integrity such as it is corroding it this stuff eats the heart you don't don't want it but the core vacuity has to be addressed and again this is where you know Dhamma practices we address it by filling with the good now I mean this isn't just purely about sort of like doing good things, certainly that's part of it, but there's a particular energy of, of the bright and the loving and the aspiring. You know, a particular energy that begins to fill the heart. And this is a definitely one of the great resources of uh, inner contemplation. Without this inner work, people are husks, <laughs> empty husks. Mm. 
this fills. And then, then you've got those indriya, and you get energy fills up. When these hindrances abate, the degree to which they abate, the mind becomes ekagata, unified in itself. It's no longer reaching out for something to fulfill it. It feels fulfilled in itself to that degree, to an energetic degree. And that's called uh, the process of what's called citta vimuti. Citta means the freedom of the heart, liberation of the heart through the sheer amplification of the citta's energy potentials. Now, just remember when I say energy, this is just a simple word. I don't mean it zinging around doing all kinds of stuff. It just means the heart is basically quite vibrant and vital. You haven't got this inertia and dead spots and craving, jangling spots. And so this amplification of the heart is definitely to be cultivated. Metta does it, uh, breathing does it, um, just sustaining one's track in terms of skillful conduct and witnessing the energies of it. Not, I have to do this to be good, but this feels good. This brings out the best in me. This feels good. Yeah. One should treasure this. It's not about what the results or what other people do or even making things work. It's about this feels good. Yeah. And that's where you're connecting to it. Your sati. Sampajanya, the purpose, turns towards that. Your purpose is into fill with that because this is necessary food. Another aspect of sampajanya, mm, suitable. So, exercising, practicing in terms of the appropriate energy, the appropriate effort, and the appropriate topic. So, for example, very simply speaking, you know, sitting, you're kind of falling apart, time to stand up. It's not just patiently bearing with falling apart unless you really want to do that. Time to stand up, do some walking. Meditation object, chitta doesn't like it, it won't bond to it. You know, it's like trying to feed a cat. You stick the plate down, the cat sniffs his nose, doesn't like it. Do it again, the cat looks at it, it's a cat. It's a cat, cats don't do what you tell them to do. <laughs> so you say, okay, kitty, you don't like that, how about this? And you keep, keep putting a plate down, eventually the cat will, all right, that's what it wants. That's what suits it. So, you know, how you do breathing, how you do body work, how you do what you're doing in your heart practices, you're finding the kind of dish that the chitta will ah, take. And you find what's suitable. And you don't sh try to shove it down its throat. <laughs> And sometimes even, even suggesting that, like, uh, up to you, oh, you know, I don't have, no, you don't have to follow, sister, you don't have to follow what I'm saying, this is what I'm saying, but it's your life, you know, <laughs> it's my offering, and please. Uh, and so then, ah, sadha, faith arises, I will investigate. Energy of investigation arises. Use the energy of the mind to investigate what sort of works. Just sometimes just even that attitude makes the meditation object more appropriate. Mm. You know, I mean, I've been doing this seemingly standard things for decades in some ways it's the same thing, but in some ways it's not. I think I got to a point, particularly in breath meditation, where actually I could go through the, the sort of various steps and processes, but I was actually following, in some ways, following what's in the book, or not actually in the book at all really, but 
do this, do that, do the other. And then I began to recognize this is not giving rise to joy. You're not enjoying it. You're doing it because you ought to, so that you'll get to what you should get to, like it says. That doesn't work for me. I could do the same thing with a mind set upon enjoy. Actually, you put that, so your sampajanya, where's the enjoyment in this? Well, it happens naturally. Breathing happens naturally. That's kind of nice. It brightens you up when you breathe in. That's pretty sweet. And it relaxes things when you breathe out. That's kind of good. <laughs> so let's just stay with that. I'll give less concern about one pointed attention here or there or the other. That may happen, but right now, I just want to be having a good time when I'm breathing, because I'm going to be doing this for years. <laughs> so that feels good, and it's blameless, it's legal. Do that, and then the, the kind of it gives you back to yourself. You're not following something out there, because enjoyment is intimate, isn't it? Yeah, it's intimate, and it gives you back your intimacy sense of this is my breath doing this to me. Like it's kind of intimate. Uh, and enjoyment has that quality. This is not standardized, orthodox, party line, Theravada, Buddhism we're doing. <laughs> it's like we're here to enjoy ourselves <laughs> with this amazing resource. And the Buddha talked about it like that. He said, this is, this is pleasant, this is agreeable, I encourage you. Enjoy it, you know. And, and that kind of changed what mindfulness of breathing was for me. Now, you know, I've taught meditation for many years and I learn a lot from listening in interviews to, you know, things people come up with and, and some people actually were breathing fine until they had to be mindful of it. And as soon as they were mindful of breathing, the whole thing seized up and became a terrible issue. Think, is, this, is this mindfulness really good for you? <laughs> you know, you were breathing okay before. It was quite, and as soon as you became mindful of it, it's right, get it, get it right. Unwavering, unwavering mindfulness. <laughs> so is that mindfulness is that right mindfulness is that right mindfulness for you however people frame it is that really what fits where you're at so you feel comfortable with it and it's working for you because if it is, you'll get that sense of the sadhana increases and there's also this quality of piti, rapture, joyful, uplifted. Because that's what the breath is doing for you, for your body. Can your mind pick that theme up and feel breathed through rather than something else I've got to do to get right? Could we just skip that, that equation? So you make your meditation topic fit you. Not you've got to fit the meditation topic, but make the meditation topic fit you. Your heart. How it is, how it, what it picks up. That's sampajanya. To say what is suitable. So you, you, so you set that kind of Reference up, purpose, suitability, resort, or domain. Yeah. You find a, a domain contextualizes. Okay, so 
in uh, a retreat setting particularly, we could say practice is 24-7. Yeah. It's all, everything you're, you're aware of, you're operating with, it's, you don't, you know, your mind is operating, and your system is operating all the time. Uh, you know, it's happening, things are happening to you, skillful, unskillful states are happening to you, you've got intention is happening to you, how you direct yourself is happening to you. So it's all happening, so therefore, you know, that's all of that is potentially Dharma practice. And then you contextualize, okay, this is kitchen practice. I mean, clearly you can't just put them in boxes, but you can sense, well, with this means is so-and-so, she's chopping carrots over there, and there's this machine whirring way over there. And okay, so where am I in this? So the unskillful states don't arise. I cooperate with her. Um, I don't bother to give attention to that. It's not my business. And I focus on what I've been taught. And, you know, so you contextualize. And your mindfulness is sustain those reference points. Okay, so where we're at. Yeah. Um, and then how do I harmonize with that? How do I work within that? So I'm not picking up unnecessary things. I'm attending carefully to what is necessary. And I'm saying, you know, right now this particular refinement of inward attention is not suitable. You know, if I want to chop a carrot at like micro speed, so as I can be utterly mindful of it, chop that carrot, feeling the pressure in my hand as I slice down to the carrot. And I have ethical issues over with the carrot, what sens- sentiency it has. <laughs> and so, <laughs> look, they're going to starve to death if you <laughs> just like chop the carrot, you know? <laughs> right? So, so, what, you know, which is more mindful? <laughs> they're both, you could say, they're both mindful in some respect, but what contextualizing it, then you set the the rate or what how you how you contemplate the situation contextualize really in our day this embodied awareness it's there all the time so it's rather like you know a wet finger and you're moving it around and feeling out where the wind is blowing you contextualize okay now we're outside in the grounds okay let's just sensing greenery feeling the happiness of greenery uh, freshness of the air staying steady within that that contemplate being aware of that input yeah Uh, uh, i'm aware of that where is my body moving body warm body moving here domain around me i'm mindful i'm aware i'm sensitive I'm not wondering what should I be doing or brooding over something. I'm tuning in. So, and then influences that begin to, to move out of that domain, you know, like you know, fretting about some other yogi, you know, I don't like the hat he's wearing or she's walking across my meditation path or something. It's a hindrance, hindrance. <laughs> Nothing is taking away the fresh air, nothing is taking away the greenery, nothing is taking away away from the presence of your body. Don't let these things intrude what somebody else is wearing or doing or just stay with this. Stay in the right domain. So this keeps the mind bright, always alert to presence and to sensitivity. And we're offering that intimate independence up to you. But you have to take the responsibility for that to be alert. To be alert, that's all. Hindrances come, good, notice them. When they approach, it's a kind of Absenting from presence, one preoccupies and contracts into something. 
and we seem to be contracting into thoughts or preoccupations or worries or concerns, you go into that and you're really contracting into this absence. That's underneath it all. This feeling of disorientation, which is a powerful force in our lives. Look around and say, okay, you've got wars, you've got climate crisis, you've got famines, you've got da-da-da-da-da. There's a huge discord potential that we can you know, notice and tune into and be affected by. And it amplifies the potential for our own disorientation, which is already there. This is the core ignorance. Picking up the ignorance of the larger domain and sending it into your own absence is only going to make it worse, isn't it? So there's a body here, there's breathing here. I can do good, I can refrain from doing evil, I can restrain unkind thoughts, I can cherish, I can appreciate others, I can feel gratitude. Let's stay with that and amplify that. This keeps things bright and alert. So you know, we have the hindrances, you've got the craving, greed, gratification, need to have something coming in, a stimulation of some kind. Ill will. Uh, there's a hostility uh, you know, and a kind of defensive quality to it or aggressive quality to it. Dullness. It's not just sleepiness, it's uh, like an inertia. It's uh, apathy. It's a uh, can't be bothered. It's a uh, what's the point? It's a uh, uh, it's, uh, going into automatic. It's switch me on and just sit there. It's the couch. It's the television. <laughs> it's the let me be absent <laughs> for everything. <laughs> so again, it's, it's, it's fundamental foundation is this ignorance, this core ignorance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to make the effort. So we get this quaint Edwardian term, sloth torpor, which nobody ever uses anymore, apart from in Buddhist circles. So sloth is kind of, kind of creature, isn't it? <laughs> it means you've just got no, oh, got no lift, and you get stuck, and you get turgid. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So and then this way, when we recognize this, then your sampajanya, so what is necessary is just start to perhaps sweep around the body, give the mind specific things to do that are not difficult, you know, pointing around. Don't just go aim for stillness. And the funny thing about this, this quality of absencing, of slothfulness, it's got a very hypnotic uh, move which says if you just sit still long enough it will pass. How did that happen? I'll sit. We'll get through this. <laughs> but there's no point getting violent about it. Like, it's not okay. Let's just stand or sweep around your body. What's happening in this knee, that knee, this shoulder, that shoulder, hands, particularly hands, because hands have a lot of sensitivity to them. So. For example, if you're just sitting, just placing your fingertips against the opposite fingertip, and you can feel that little bright tingle there where the fingertips touch the opposite ones, and you, know, you realize if you're feeling a bit low in energy, that will slide, but you'll notice it. Slide. Come back to that. 
And then you can just kind of focus on that sensation, that energy. You can do that. I've had people putting matchboxes on their heads. So there is but it's, after all, it sounds like maracas because the thing is hitting the floor <laughs> so many times. <laughs> so this is a quiet way to do it. And then pushing the spine in and opening the chest and being willing, you know, even to explore what low energy does. So certainly if the energy is low, then this quality w- will creep in. But if your energy is low, you start to feel what's happening in the skin around your face. Yeah. Are your eyes puckering? Keep your eyes open, rotate your eyes. Uh, loosen, open the body, using body energy in a subtle way to um, give th- that hindrance less room. But it does also come into not just fatigue, but a certain weariness of the spirit. I'm fed up can't be bothered you know uh, and then we need to where does the faith go Hmm? yeah where does the faith go what kindles it again yeah and recollection yeah there is a path there is a purpose you can do it, you can do something, but you have to do a little bit. You have to do a little bit. Restlessness, sense in which there can be no feeling of a stable center, so the mind is searching for something to get occupied with. Um, something to get occupied with. Energy is not smooth or settled, it's, it's jangled. And sampajanya, right specific topic, suitable topic, whole body, even moving, walking, sustained walking, steady walking sweeping through the body, sweeping awareness through the body. Yeah. You know, so you're giving something steadying to do. Mm. Yeah. And this is where, you know, almost if you deal with these the mind will be unified. It's not in order that. This is the unification of the mind. The removal of the hindrances by itself unifies the mind. This is what we call samadhi. Fifth hindrance, doubt, which I've touched into before, is a kind of gain of core vacuity. Uh, we call it the lack of faith, the absence of faith or dwindling of faith. You know, you could say faith in practice, faith in Buddha, eventually becomes faith in yourself, faith in your own heart, confidence in your own heart. Mm. And, you know, that can be difficult. You think, you know, well, I've got all these defilements. Yeah, I can't practice. I'm stuck in these perpetual habits. But you know it, don't you? You're aware of that, aren't you? Yeah, and more. Well, let's lose the topics. <laughs> Get back to that. What is aware? Why, why do you care? You know? When you look around the world in general, some people seem to be celebrating the hindrances. <laughs> With great gusto. <laughs> why, why does it bother you? Because that's that core integrity. I aspire to purity, therefore it uh, disappoints me. Okay, we'll just get back to that aspiration and how that can manifest. 
Perhaps this pathway is blocked at the moment. Let's see how that can manifest. Caring for others, serving, uh, you know, relinquishing. The gestures that all Buddha Dharma is very rich in terms of possibilities for skillful uh, energy to operate. And when you start to get skillful energy operating, it's connective, so it feeds back. So you might say skillful service gives rise to skillful stillness. Because if this skillful energy has been engendered by helping others or by what we do, then when we complete the duty, the results of the skillfulness remain and then we can dwell in it. So there are different ways in which you can cultivate uh, that sense of fundamental confidence or self-respect, you could say. If confidence sounds too too grand, self-respect. You're making commitments. You're keeping precepts. That is rare in this world. Can you do respect? Not, I am such a great person, but the citta that undertakes this, that is worthy of respect. So when we say self-confidence, not confidence in me as a person, it's confidence in the citta of integrity, the uju citta, the upright heart. And by and large I find people who are self-critical generally are the people of highest integrity. That's what I notice. Because <laughs> standards are high. The people who are not self-critical are <laughs> the least integrity. <laughs> the bar is very low, there's no bar. <laughs> and so you've got to, got to really contextualise this. <laughs> and certainly as long as there's that, that fundamental quality of ignorance the absence the void, the unawakened there will be room for a sense of not complete yet inadequate, haven't fulfilled it so definitely the potential is there but we can't buy into that potential by making a self out of it and this, is, this is the core issue core issue. Mm. The fourth attribute of Sampajanya, non-delusion. And, you know, this could cover quite a lot of things, but for a start, non-delusion means there's nothing wrong with the patient but there is definitely a sickness around. There's nothing wrong with you, it's just there are hindrances. Don't take the hindrance to be a person. That's delusion. Okay, that's one way of looking at it. And the patient has to be cared for repeatedly with a great deal of patience. Uh, Don't identify with the diseases. And be careful, these diseases creep over if you don't clean regularly. Clean the heart regularly, refresh the heart regularly. (coughs) These diseases can take over. This is non-delusion. It's a sober realism and sober compassion. Another quality of non-delusion is that we recognize or we're beginning to hopefully recognize all conditions, all forms are really nothing. There's nothing solid about any of it. You may think you've got hindrances cast in stone, made out of concrete, hang around your neck all the time. (laughs) That means there's a repeated habit to keep going to them that solidifies them that reifies them, that gives them statistics. I did this on this day and I never this and I always that. It kind of, that's the accumulator that solidifies. Actually, 
These are just energies tangling, moving around, nothing substantial in it at all. Yeah. So then you contemplate hindrances, like this is the beginning of that shadow of negativity, that sense of, uh, how does it begin? Otherness. And then comparison. And then not enough. Where does, it, where does it begin? And, and this is, <laughs> you see the dispositions that occur around that experience of other, whether the other is someone else I should be or the other is what I imagine other people are. When that perception touches, do we investigate it? What does that mean? What does that feel like? We could say, yeah, there are, 35 other people in the room yeah one way but actually what do you mean by that what happens here with that huh? is it people I've got to get on with people I've got to make something happen for you know people who are getting in my way or people who are look strange or whatever that's negativity they don't have to be there. They could be companions. Demonstrating the diversity, bringing forth my encouragement and compassion. It could be that. <laughs> it could go either way, couldn't it? Around that pivot of otherness. What's the disposition? I have to make something for others. I have to be good enough for others. I have to... That disposition. Others shouldn't be here. They, you know that disposition or is it a disposition of gratitude and love mm. so we begin to sense some of these core dispositions which are the beginnings of how the hindrances come in how we sense self how we sense other because self and other are both fantasies they're both fantasies and a lot can crystallize around those fantasies. Mm. So your sampajanya is alert to that signal, self, other. When that starts vibrating, you know, suffering is about to happen. <laughs> if I'm not very careful, <laughs> what's the disposition? should be, or can it move towards, may that be well, may this be well, enter the domain of well-being, enter the domain of faith, trust, I trust you. That's what we call faith, I trust you. and that boundary opens into something very very beautiful so it's like this through non-delusion we can radically transform what our context is experienced as it's all just fantasies projections yeah. and if those transformed this underlying absenting is dispelled the mind settles into unity it's no longer fighting breaking up, splintering uh, and this is how these satisampajanya supported by faith and energy, gives rise to samadhi and discernment. So we're getting our kit together and finding your domain and finding how you are in your body and how your energies work and how you cooperate with it and what you can encourage 
marvellous. We've got a good chunk of time to deepen our practice for our welfare and the welfare of others. So let's continue.